scripture passage for today is found in John chapter 17. It is verses 6 through 10. I would encourage you, if you have a Bible, to turn and read along as I read aloud from the Word of God. Hear the Word of the Lord. As Christ is speaking in prayer, I have revealed you to those whom you gave me out of the world. They were yours. You gave them to me, and they have obeyed your word. Now they know that everything you have given me comes from you. For I gave them the words you gave me, and they accepted them. They knew with certainty that I came from you, and they believed that you sent me. I pray for them. I am not praying for the world, but for those you have given me, for they are yours. Let us too pray. Dear Father, we give thanks for this prayer of Christ, which we are allowed to witness through the glorious gift of your word, the Bible. We ask that we might be people of prayer, even as Christ was, that we might understand who you are and how you work in the hearts of mankind, and the blessings that you have provided for us, that we might cling to those through our faith in Christ, that we might understand your word. We pray that your Holy Spirit would have his way with us, I pray that my words would be faithful in keeping with your word, which alone is holy and just and true, changing human hearts through the working of your Holy Spirit within us. We ask all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. We have just gone through the ritual that occurs every time, every year at this season, the ritual of graduation. It's a ritual symbolizing Completion and advancement. The successful completion of a course of study, readiness for new challenges. Whether those challenges are for some working in a field for which the studies have prepared the graduate, for others, preparation for tests beyond the finals which measure competence and aptitude. For others, simply gearing up for moving on to more advanced studies. The Advanced Sandbox. (laughs) Sandbox 2. What was that, Andy? Okay. The ending of a school year gives both a sense of satisfaction, accomplishment, and with these, there is also the uncertainty about the unknowns of the future. That's not a movie that I would commend for its morality, but there was a time when the movie The Graduate was something that was in vogue for college graduates to watch. How many of you have seen The Graduate or are willing to admit that you've seen The Graduate? I remember graduating from college, and that was when I saw The Graduate. There were certain aspects of that movie that were very telling. The aspect of the uncertainty about the great beyond. What is beyond for some high school? What is beyond college for some? What is beyond graduate school? So there is a great uncertainty about the unknowns in the future. We have before us in this part of the prayer of Christ to his Father today a sort of commencement address to the Father about the progress of the disciples. We see what they have been taught. We see what has happened in the learning process, how they have grown and demonstrated their capacity and capability, 
how they have responded to their future, to their, excuse me, to their teacher, and what their future holds. As we examine this component of the prayer of our Lord, we must look diligently at one aspect of this valedictory for the disciples. And that is the aspect of past growth and future growth in the Christian faith, for this is what it is all about. You do not graduate from high school, from college, from middle school, from elementary school, from kindergarten. And that's the most fascinating phenomena these days, kindergarten graduations. Or any other sort of training with a certificate or degree that says, it is hereby noted that Nathan Bailey has completed all the training he will ever need in his life. We here thereby confer on him the master of all knowledge degree, with all the honors, rights, and privileges to that degree appertaining. Signed and sealed on this day, Sunday, June 6th, year of our Lord, 1999. <clears throat> and yet having gone not nearly so far on our learning and experience as these same disciples, it is easy for us at times to think that we have accomplished what is to be accomplished in the Christian life, that there is little beyond this. And we must, while avoiding that scourge, that curse at all costs, we must also recognize the blessings that are evident in this part of Christ's prayer to his Father concerning his disciples. And so as we look at this particular passage, let us hearken back to two Sundays ago, as we saw the evidence for God's election of believers. These proofs are evident as they are reaffirmed here, for Christ says, I have revealed you to those whom you gave me out of the world. They were yours, you gave them to me. The word to reveal there is a word phanerao, what this indicates is that these men about whom Christ is praying to his father began their schooling by his choice, not by their personal choice. It is true if you consider the way in which the disciples came to Christ. You will remember that several of them had been disciples of John the Baptist. That they had come to Christ after he was baptized by John. Yet it is presented in no uncertain terms here. Those that came to Christ belonged to God the Father, who in turn presented them or passed them on to his Son to belong to Christ, not as those in the world, as Christ indicates at the end of this section of the prayer, but as special called ones, true disciples. So this schooling began with Christ's <clears throat> revelation to his disciples. What does a revelation mean? Well, a revelation does not begin until school starts. Unless it comes with a revelation that school is starting tomorrow. But revelation begins with the beginning of education. It means a beginning. It means that there is something that is incomprehensible without its being shown, demonstrated, and revealed. As Christ reveals in this, in this passage to us in his prayer to his Father, <clears throat> the Father has been revealed to these disciples through the direct action and the teaching of Christ, the Son of God. This revelation, as we peruse the gospel 
of John is one that has not come through an inner spark of the brain, not through a bright flash bulb going off in their mind that says, Aha, now I understand. I have been thinking about it long enough, and I comprehend. <clears throat> Christ has said it several times in several ways, what he says in, in John fourteen six. Jesus said, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father but by me. And in the other Gospels, his words are, Matthew eleven twenty seven. All things have been handed over to me by my Father. No one knows the Son except the Father, nor does anyone know the Father except the Son, and anyone to whom the Son wills to reveal him. <clears throat> Even Charles Wesley, who's not one who is generally favorable for the election <clears throat> of God bringing people to himself, says, Regarding this verse, our Lord here addressing himself to his disciples shows why men, wise in other things, do not know this. Namely, because none can know it by natural reason. None but those to whom he revealeth it. And that's proof that Charles Wesley wrote it, not, not I. I would have said reveals, but just that note there. <clears throat> There are two usages of the word <clears throat> meaning reveal here. One speaks of the object that is made plain. The other speaks of those whose eyes are open to see what was previously hidden from their sight. Apocaluto means to, to remove the veil from something, lift up the veil, even as the veil in the temple was split in two when Christ died, revealing the Holy of Holies. <clears throat> Phanerao means to make plain, apparent, or visible. In both cases of this usage, the sense is that the work of revelation is done by the hand of God, not by human comprehension or man's persistent study. <clears throat> Indeed, when this revelation of the person and work of Christ comes to the disciples, Christ says, Matthew sixteen seventeen, Simon Peter answered, <clears throat> Christ had said, who do, you, who do people say I am? This is uh, included in the Synoptic Gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, uh, which are <clears throat> synoptic means that they follow generally the same course and include <clears throat> many of the same incidents. <clears throat> Who do people say that I am? And then he said, Who do you say I am? Simon Peter answered, You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. Jesus replied, Blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for this was not revealed to you by man, but by my Father in heaven. And I tell you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades will not overcome it. <clears throat> As we see in examining the Gospels, this revelation has come over the course of the years of study with Christ, during which time he has been teaching them and opening their eyes through his divine power and by his grace to see the truth concerning himself and his Father regarding their need to know and love him through faith. <clears throat> And it is this revelation of which he speaks in the various passages I have read, including our passage for today in John 17, 6. It leads to the beginning of the church, even as Christ said to Peter. He said, <clears throat> Blessed are you, for this was not revealed to you by man, but by my Father in heaven. And I tell you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades will not overcome it. 
This makes it very clear that the beginning of the church, that the foundation of the church is this revelation. Revelation, the person, the work of Christ, revelation of his divinity, and the revelation through him of the Father in heaven. And so this revelation has shown them who Christ is and who the Father is. Many people think that it is possible to know Christ, excuse me, it is possible to know God without having any relation whatsoever to Christ. I was interested to read just yesterday uh, an article in the Bristol Herald Courier that was about uh, the, the current ongoing tension about putting the Ten Commandments up in the Sullivan County Courthouse. And I, um, uh, it, it was interesting to read of one man's efforts to put something up to counter what he perceived as that if, if, the, if the Ten Commandments go up, he wants to counter that so that people don't think that our nation are supportive of the Ten Commandments. And so what he wants to say, <clears throat> he calls himself a deist, he wants to say that, uh, <clears throat> that we are free thinkers in our country, and his expression as a deist is, of course, that you do not have to know Christ in order to know God. <clears throat> and so... Uh, he has a great deal of scorn and derision for the Ten Commandments, whether it's from the Jewish side or the Christian side. <clears throat> Regarding the scripture is clear. There is no way to God except through Christ. We state this with regard to Judaism, even as we state it with regard to the Muslim faith or any other faith. The Bible is clear. <clears throat> Without the Lord's revelation, no eyes are open, no ears can hear, and no hearts can be changed. Yet through his revelation, the truth is effective to bring about change. And so as we look at this small segment of the prayer of Christ to his Father, it is a great source of comfort and encouragement for us to realize that this revelation of divine truth has not been ineffective in their lives, but instead has brought about great change in their hearts and lives. It's not something where their eyes have been opened and they have said, oh, yes, isn't that interesting, and gone on to other things. But instead, having their eyes opened, their eyes were changed. Their hearts and their lives were changed forever. If you remember early in the book of Acts, after Christ had risen and ascended into heaven, the disciples were out proclaiming fearlessly the words and the message concerning the person of Christ and his work and the necessity of all to trust in him. And the Sanhedrin on several occasions had Peter and John and the others come before them. They questioned them about why they were telling these things. You'll note that it's very interesting that on one specific occasion, it says that they marveled because these were uneducated men. They noted that they had been followers of Christ. That is a great source of joy and encouragement. Chris and Katie, as you have graduated from high school today, this past Friday, you look at the future. It's only natural to think I've accomplished this, but what is it that I have really accomplished? Does this legitimately prepare me for something? 
Am I ready? Good question. The advanced sandbox will <laughs> let you know if it's prepared you for that. <clears throat> but Andy was right in speaking of the issue of growing up being something that is designed to prepare you for maturity, making your own decisions, and living your own life. <clears throat> this is the question that comes with all accomplishments, with all completed courses of study. What am I prepared for now? What comes next? What am I capable of doing? And so I encourage you to look at this passage, to, to understand certain things from it that bring great joy and blessing. The course of study with Christ, in which he opens our eyes through his powerful revelation to see him as the Savior, the one in whom we must place our trust for the forgiveness of our sins, the peace with God, and the hope of eternal life is not an ineffective course of study. It is not one which, having been launched fully into it, <clears throat> you will look about and turn around feebly and say, is anything happening here? <clears throat> is this a waste of time? Am I going anyplace? Now, it is true, and this is the warning that I introduced shortly after introducing the subject, <clears throat> that we cannot get stale in our Christian faith and say, I've arrived. And yet as we look at this point with regard to the disciples, they are far from having arrived from our standpoint. As a matter of fact, they are very shortly to turn tail and run. <clears throat> it is mere hours. From the point in time when they will fall asleep instead of praying for God's help, <clears throat> to flee temptation. It is mere hours from the point in time when they will not only fall asleep, but that they will see Christ be betrayed by Judas, <clears throat> and they will run from him in fear and sorrow. It is mere hours from the point in time when Peter will deny Christ three times. <clears throat> so as we look at our passage and look at this in the context of what's happening in the lives of the disciples, it might be easy for us to say, they're a, <clears throat> they're a long ways from having arrived. And yet in reality, Christ is playing, praying the Father's blessing upon them, strength and encouragement. And in the midst of this prayer, it's interesting to note what he says specifically at the end of it. <clears throat> All I have is yours, and all you have is mine. And just a very small expression there. And glory has come to me through them. <clears throat> As you finish a course of study, as Andrew launches graduates from the math program at King College, <clears throat> as those who teach launch their students out, and parents launch their children out, <clears throat> there is a big question floating around in the minds of those who are launching people out into further areas of study, further maturity. How will they do? Are they ready for this? Have they been prepared? Am I going to be delighted with what happens? Or am I going to be humiliated and shamed. There's not a teacher in the world who has not had these questions run through his or her mind. Not a parent in the world who has had these 
lest they've hidden them somehow, questions run through their mind with regard to their children. What will the future bring? Shortly before his denial by Peter and the fleeing of all of his disciples, their desertion of him, Christ says this in his prayer to his Father with regard to them. And glory has come to me through them. As we consider our present and our future, as we consider our failures as followers of Christ, this is the joyous hope in the midst of it. That Christ does not look upon us as Satan does. He is called the great accuser in the book of Job because he spent his time saying, oh, that man is not glorifying and honoring and praising you because he loves you. Instead, he just loves the things you do for him. He loves all the wealth. He loves his family. He loves his health. And because of these things, he worships you. If you were to strip him of all these things, he'd say, I don't want to have anything to do with God. Yet God takes no part in that. He says, fine, do it and watch. Christ is saying the same with regard to his disciples here. This is a great source of encouragement and hope for us as we follow Christ. To know that Christ looks at us and says, well, I remember what he did yesterday. He did a pretty poor job. The things he hasn't done this past week are a shame. The ways he has disobeyed me, not just once, but countless times. But instead, he says, for they have brought glory to me. These disciples brought glory to Christ? How? Christ makes it clear how. He indicates it even in the short segment of the prayer. Because they have responded to his call, they have faith in him. They believe what he says. They understand the Father through him, and they obey him. What does it do to you when you're in a position of leadership, and those under your leadership say, (laughs) I'm not going to do that. Who are you to tell me this? Well, that may be, but I'm going to do something different. It is the undermining. It's the revelation that that faith and trust is not there. Yet when those under our authority, whether in our families or workplaces or school or wherever, among our friends, see us and have confidence in us, follow our example, and listen to our words and pay attention to them, It brings great joy to us, doesn't it? And this is the same with Christ. Only he deserves it all. And it is rare that I deserve it at all. He deserves it all. And the disciples have trusted in him and done what he said. And so there are many times when we come to Scripture and we say, Oh, woe is me. I am far from meeting up to this measure. And yet at this time we come to Scripture and we say, isn't it a glorious thing to realize that the disciples having gotten to this point are not going to have their faults enumerated, but instead Christ says, Father, these men have brought glory to me. Isn't that a glorious message to hear? 
to see that God will recognize how we have obeyed Him, how we have trusted in Christ, demonstrating our devotion to Him. And for that, He will say, I am honored. It's particularly astounding because He is the creator of the universe. It's particularly astounding in light of the fact that Christ was soon to die for these men. And if you or I were to die for someone, we would be looking very particularly at their lives and say, is he going to appreciate this? We think of the, I think it's the 55th anniversary of D-Day. Over 6,000 people died on the shores of Normandy. Over 6,000 allies died on the shores of Normandy. <clears throat> As we look back to those sacrifices, it would be easy to have an imaginary dialogue with the men who died there and say, look at the world that you have allowed to be possible because of your sacrifice, <clears throat> which brought about the pushing back of <clears throat> the German forces. Was it worth it? Are you glad with what you see today? And we know in our minds that there would be countless things that they would say, I did not sacrifice my life for that. No way on earth. And if I had known that, I would have been hesitant to do so. And yet Christ, who has reason above all to fault us, <clears throat> to find us unworthy, has said, they love me, they have followed me, they trust in me, they obey me. I am pleased. We practice this now for eternity. We need to remember this. <clears throat> God desires above all else to be glorified in us and through us. And it is His great pleasure that we are His if we trust in Him. His great desire that any who do not know Him trust in Him and bring glory and honor to Him through acceptance of what he says concerning himself and salvation and obedience to his word. Be encouraged by these things. Let us pray. <clears throat> Father, we give thanks for your word because it reveals to us your work through history, <clears throat> your work and blessing through the person of Jesus Christ. We give you thanks that on this night <clears throat> of infamy, that you provided comfort to your disciples, and that you recognized that they had brought honor and glory to you through their acceptance of you and through their obedience to you. Cause us to remember these t things when we fail. To remember that it is your desire that we love you, that we accept your word, and that we obey you. And in obedience, that we are not accomplishing a minor human <clears throat> accomplishment, but instead we are contributing glory and honor to the King of the universe, not a small thing. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.